hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to find a book in your house, like right now, any book. Grab, grab a book. Find a book. You're stuck in your house anyway. Come on, you're quarantined. Surely you've got a book around here somewhere. Okay, okay grab that book and take a good look at it. Okay, just look at it. It's probably at a cover, a spine, you know, a specific number of uniform rectangular pages. Chances are you open the cover and the pages from left to right. And even, even if you're one of those cool people that only reads ebooks, chances are by default it follows the same overwhelming convention of a print book, albeit in digital form, and that is it turns from left to right. It's it's got a cover. It doesn't scroll continuously. Why why is that? Have you ever wondered why all books look this way? Ever? Probably not. I mean, it's but it's COVID season, so there's a lot of thoughts running through my head right about now. Um, this being one of them. Like why why are books the way that they are? I mean, it's just one of those things that we just assume it's always been this way or but for real though. Ask your book right now, why are you the way that you are? It's fine. You probably said crazier stuff since you've been locked in your house like me for three weeks. Why are you the way that you are? Why why is that book the way that it is? And what if the answer is the early church? That's right. The early church. My name is Adam Shaw, and this is The Restorationist. Well, hey, everybody. Hope you're having a fantastic, fantastic day. Before we jump back into the content, I just thought I'd let everybody know that my friend Anthony Trimble has an incredible new album out. It's called Higher Than the Heavens. It's an amazing, amazing worship album. He wrote it during an extremely pressure-filled time in his life. He was battling cancer, and he released it. Providentially so, I believe. He released it as the whole world is dealing with coronavirus. So songs that came from crisis have been released to the world that is currently in crisis. It's a fantastic album. I love it. It's been on repeat. My little boy's learning all the music, learning all the songs. It's available on iTunes as well as all streaming platforms. Thank you for joining me today. I'm really, really grateful for your time. There's probably in the listenership here, there's probably two extremes. People that are super busy and people that are bored out of your minds. Hopefully, hopefully I can help both groups today. I I know this is getting out late. Now, everyone keeps telling me stop apologizing for stuff, but I'm trying to keep it real here on the podcast. And keeping it real is um, I apologize for everything. So I'm going to say I'm sorry. I was all set to get this episode out. And then due to this COVID-19 coronavirus uh, crisis, the premier of our province issued an order that restricted the number of people that were able to gather to five or less at 915 on a Saturday night. So, kind of threw a little hand grenade into the tent of my plants. And um, 
I mean, we did have a heads up. It was coming earlier that afternoon. So most of my day when I should have been recording this podcast was spent with our team chopping up our volunteer our volunteer team uh, from 11 back down to 5, reconfiguring roles. It was super stressful. It was a bit of a crazy Sunday. I mean, I was... Uh, I was I was running I was leading worship and then had to duck at a camera to go run a second camera. Anyway, it's crazy, but but we're back. We're here and, and thank you so much. Thank you so so much for listening. Isn't this like the wildest time that you've ever like ever lived in? I know it is for me. I was in high school uh during during 9/11 and um I don't know uh, the, I guess the listener base, you know, some of you were in the fifth grade. I'm talking to you, Jordan Grindle. Um, some of you were not born yet, um, but I lived through, uh, I, I was born, I was alive in high school during 9-11, and the havoc that that wreaked on the world, and I can't remember a time since then where the world has been so plunged into chaos. The word uncertain has been thrown around a lot, and it's super accurate. And it's actually, I think, the most reserved way of saying, like, we have no idea what's going on or what is going to happen or what will happen next. And this is impacting us as churches. And we are facing a crisis like we've never, we never faced before. And while there are good examples in business and hopefully some in your governments, uh, people who listen to this, they come from every country in the world, um, thank you to those that are in the UAE right now that put the restorationist at uh, number uh, number I think it was number thirty eight in Christian podcast in the UAE. So that that's pretty cool. Thank you so much for listening. Um, hopefully there are some in our different government styles and 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 state setups that that there are some great examples of leadership and leadership communication in in our governments. But the uniqueness of the mission, and identity of the church should cause us to look for a biblical solution to lead God's people through through this time. Now, the vision of the restorationist has always been to ask ourselves a really important question: How can we how can we embody the principles? How can we live and lead like the early church while rooted in the twenty first century? How can we live like the believers in the in that first century that first century church while ministering effectively, leading effectively, living effectively in this 21st century? And to be honest, never before has this question seemed more relevant to me as a leader in a local church. Never has it been more more crucial that I try to understand and we all try to understand how we can embody a book of Acts culture in the 21st century in this time. Thankfully, thankfully, we have good examples to, to look to. And, and for our subject today, the earliest record of it is the what is known as the post-apostolic era. So the generation of, of Timothy and Polycarp. So the scripture, uh, you know, if the early dates for John are around 90 to 100 A.D., I'm talking from 100 A.D. to 200 A.D., but this this could have been earlier too. We just we don't have historical or archaeological evidence of it. But but the people that were discipled by Peter, James, and John, it was their generation that did this, and they give us an incredible example of how to lead and innovate in uncertain times. 
And it comes to us in a unique story, a story I, I didn't realize had its roots in the church, and that's the story of book design. And I, I owe uh, the historical data for this podcast, owe a great debt to the work of Larry Hurtado um, and his book, Destroyer of the Gods. And it, it, he shares with us this amazing story of, of how books came to be as we know them to be today. And it's rooted, like I said, in the early church. So before I jump into the details, I want to give you two, two kind of background points that are really, really crucial, really kind of neat to understand. And, and number one, the massive influence of Christianity on all religions cannot be overstated. So Christianity has permeated our culture and permeated our world in ways that, that are unfathomable. The idea of a sacred text being central to a religion comes from Christianity. The, the reading, the writing, the copying, the disseminating of, of texts is, was a massive part of the early Christian church. Even the internal witness of Scripture tells us that shortly after the death of Jesus, Scriptures were being circulated all throughout the church. And before the days of DHL and UPS or Canada Post, the early church developed this sophisticated distribution system to copy and circulate text. The, the early church, according to Lair Hurtado, is a, is a very bookish religion, even much more so than, um, you know, Second Temple Judaism, which was rooted very much around the law, very much rooted around rabbinical tradition. Christianity was rooted in the writings and the authorship of, of Scripture. And the early church had this sophisticated distribution network to make sure the Word of God got into the hands of people. And the second background point I kind of feel like I need to bring up to kind of give context to this whole book design thing is how masterful the early church was in written communication. They were amazing at using language to teach and engage people. I'm talking about the authors and the writers of Scripture. For example, in the Roman era, the average letter was about 87 words, rarely exceeded 200. The works of Cicero, which is an important writer, ranged from 22 words to 2,530 words. Seneca, one of the most prolific Roman writers, 149 words to 4,134 words. Now compare this with the Apostle Paul. The smallest letter is Philemon, 395 words. 1 Corinthians, 6,807 words. Romans, 7,101 words. And this, and this leads us to like the greatest example of all, and that is Luke-Acts, 38,000 words. So, so the scriptures in the volume, the, the size and scope of the literary works, as well as the sheer volume of the different kinds of words that were used is absolutely unparalleled in the ancient world. And, and so besides being clearly the, you know, the choice of God, the sovereign hand of God, practically speaking, writing was the best way to communicate the message en masse to large groups of people and given the centrality of the Word of God to the early church, it makes perfect sense that they were writers. 
And so, so from those, those two background points, since the early church was from its early days a very bookish religion, it makes perfect sense that they were innovators of book technology. And this, this is a really cool story. Overwhelmingly, at, at this particular time, the dominant style of written work, the preferred form for written works in the Roman era was the scroll. You know, so when you, when you watch all the old movies and stuff, and they would read from a scroll, that, that was the preferred form of written works. And while they did have the codex, the kind of formal name for the style, like what we, you know, what we have for books now, it was rarely used in Roman times. Rarely, rarely used. Definitely not at all for literary texts. It was, it was considered way too, it was considered way too informal. It was the improper format for literature. At least that's what the Romans and the rest of the Roman Empire thought. 95% of literary texts were scrolls. So the dominant format for all literature was the scroll. And that that's just because it was just easier to use. You you would write in two narrow columns and when you were done, you just chopped up the snip the end off the scroll and rolled it up and on on you went. It was really easy. The codex, what we now call the traditional book, you know, with the cover and the pages that are rectangles and the specific number of pages and you turn pages from left to right, all that kind of stuff, that was never used. It was, like I said, inappropriate for literature. It was inappropriate for letters because it was extremely labor-intensive. One of the reasons besides its informality was that it was very labor-intensive because in order to prepare a codex or a book, you had to estimate the exact number of pages, cut them precisely, write the material, and then bind them together. This is why it was never, ever chosen, for the most part, by, by Roman-era writers. And, and the Christians were not, were not at all ignorant of this. The, the church was filled with some pretty smart people. And they weren't living under a rock. And they were very much aware of the technology that was being utilized and the way it was, it was being utilized by, by the rest of the Roman world. So what do you think they chose? What do you think the early church did? Did they choose convention or did they defy it? If you chose option B, defy convention, you're absolutely right. They chose the codex, the format we now call the book. In fact, the Codex became the preferred book style for texts considered authoritative and the Word of God. Texts that were not considered Scripture were often written in the traditional scroll format. So, th again, this, this is so cool. So, instead of conforming to the cultural preference, they deliberately and intentionally chose to be countercultural in their communication and use design to visually distinguish themselves from the rest of written literature. And this was cool because when people saw their, their pastors carrying a codex to the front of the room for public worship, they would know immediately from its design if it was considered authoritative and sacred. I mean, isn't this cool? I mean, it's really neat. But beyond being a cool story, I believe that this piece of history underscores to all of us right now 
that find ourselves in some pretty uncertain, uncertain times. The absolute importance of deeply knowing your values. I'm defining values here by borrowing heavily from Patrick Lencioni. Uh, his definition of core values is how we do things around here, the handful of traits that are shared by the team. It's our core identity. It's not who we want to be. It's, it's who we are right now. And we see this impulse within the life of the church. From Peter to Paul, in Scripture, we read the church is not, they continually saying the church is not of this world. We're distinct. We're pilgrims. We're aliens. We're vagabonds. We don't belong here. We're a chosen generation, a peculiar people. We're reminded to come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. That message rang in the hearts and minds of the early church that they were a distinct people unlike any other group on the planet. They had extreme clarity of that. And as a result, the early church innovated not only out of necessity because they needed to copy the scriptures, but also as an extension of their values. It seems like, now I'm saying it seems like because I wasn't there in the room with them having the conversation, but it seems like they asked the question, how can we do this in a way that screams, it's us? How can we write these texts and design them in a way that when they are seen, immediately people know that this is a different kind of book than the kinds of books you're used to reading? Since we are distinct from everything and everyone else, how we approach the problem, the need of the recording and distribution of scriptures, that must be unique and distinct too. As a result of leading from a conviction that they were different, that they were a peculiar people, that they were a distinctive movement in the world, Christians pushed the envelope on book technology in the 100s and 200s AD. And at least according to Larry Hurtado and all of his many footnoted sources, we see the early church experimenting with design styles, developing and refining over time as they experimented with the best methods to create the codex. And what's amazing is at this point in history, the church was in a hostile environment with no distribution network and the most important mission ever. Communicate the word of God and make disciples. And because they chose to innovate and experiment from their values, books today now look the way that they do. And like they were intentional about thinking through how their value of distinctiveness impacted their decisions, I believe in these uncertain times, we must be as intentional as they were too. And thinking through distinctiveness involves discussions about more than just basic lifestyle decisions. It should be d discussions that impact every aspect of how we function as leaders and how we lead our organizations. Why is this important? Well, if, if we don't know our values well, if we don't have clarity over our, our core values we will simply copy and paste what we see others do in moments of crisis. When we're thrust in an unfamiliar territory or an unfamiliar moment, 
we find ourselves in places that we've never been before and we're scared out of our minds because I think pretty much we're all under stress right now. If we don't have clearly defined values, in an attempt to come up with any solution, we'll copy and paste what we see others do. And simply copy and pasting what we see somewhere else in the church world may not be the best strategy for us. Copying and pasting something else we see in popular culture is almost always not a good strategy. If we don't know our values, we will choose novelty regardless if it works or if it fits our organization or local church. See, trying to be cool because this crisis is a good opportunity for you to flex hard on, on, on your friends or copy your favorite megachurch, it's not a good strategy. In, in Canada, over the past couple of weeks, there was a particular political party that tried to use the coronavirus support funds to, and the debate they were having in Parliament to tag on some practices that would fundamentally change how our country operates. This was not well received. It was not well received, not, not because the majority of Canadians disagreed with the actions. They disagreed with them because it felt incredibly disingenuous. Rather than trying to respond creatively and effectively, it came across that politicians are being political and leveraging a real crisis to break the model of how our country works and, and functions. This is not the time to break your church model because you're bored with it. Nor is it time to remove all of the familiarity that, that are, that's, that's in your local church because you're bored with it. As leaders, we are the last stable voice in the world. The local church is the last stable voice in the world. The last stable force in the world. So if we don't have clearly defined values, we will just choose novelty regardless of whether or not it works or it fits. Finally, if we don't know our values, we will cling to ineffective methods and non-biblical traditions out of fear. I'm not attempting to be controversial here, but defying local authorities and having service is not enduring persecution. It's damaging your reputation and the reputation of the entire church. Now, there are differing laws from locality to locality. Some places churches are called essential services and other places they are not. We have to use prudence when we are following local laws. But defying, openly defying our local governments that right now are not necessarily trying to persecute the church, they're trying to stop a virus the best they way that they know how, is, is, is not good. It's, sometimes we're doing this because we, we don't know what else to do other than have church the way that we've had it because we don't know our values. We don't have strong core values. So we cling to ineffective methods. Screaming in your kitchen in a full suit may not be the most effective way to communicate. Now, in our local church, we're still able to film in our building, provided we have less than five people in the, in the building at a time, which is enormously difficult. And, but we're still doing that because of the familiarity that it brings, and, and we're able to film it in a way that is not uncomfortable. But we've dialed back the intensity a little bit, a tiny bit. We've lost the ties and are much more 
smart casual or business casual than the traditional suit and tie that we normally wear. And that's simply because we're trying to match the setting and connect with people that are watching in their homes, not, not wearing their, their Sunday best. It is so important that we know who we are. We know the values that make us up at our core and we lead from the overflow of that identity. So what are your values? What, what are the core values of your local church? What is the culture of your local church? Have you identified those values? If, if you haven't, you, you need to as soon as possible. I have an episode uh, I posted earlier on. You can find it still in the feed. It's called Creating Clarity. Identify who you are and lead from that. And if you don't have time to listen to that episode, here's a few questions to get you started. What do I passionately love? What gets me all riled up? What makes us the most excited? And then what answers to those questions do I share with other people on the senior leadership team? We did this in our local church, and it was the most liberating thing in the world. We discovered that passion is the underlying and defining emotion of, of everything we do. We are passionate. If you're not, and we are, we are more passionate, and hopefully all you know churches are passionate people, but we are more passionate than other places. Passion is something that is different about us than other places. And if you're not passionate, you, you won't be able to be a good fit on our team. And we decided we are passionate about apostolic doctrine and its application. Anything that compromises that we're not going to do. We're passionate about being spirit-led and spirit-driven. This is why copy and paste culture is is not at all about you know what we do at LifePoint Church because we feel a strong need that the Lord has to lead us and inspire us and drive us to, to make certain changes. Finally, we are passionate about results. If something is not working, we will old yeller it as fast as possible. And we have found, because we have identified those core values, we have found ways to keep that alive and be distinct online without being un, you know unnecessarily weird. Because <laughs> we discovered we're not TED Talks. We're not Late Night with Jimmy Fallon. We are a Pentecostal church. And as a Pentecostal church, the immediacy of the spiritual response to the gospel and to the preached word of God is of paramount importance to us. There's a lot of great and cool ideas being shared in the church world right now. And I hope to leverage this podcast to interview some leaders. We'll interview one in our next episode that, that's doing some amazing things. I want you to read as many of them as you can. I want you to expose your mind to as many ideas as possible, but make sure that you run them through your values before you implement them. Because ultimately, values are liberating. Look at what they did for the early church. Identifying we are distinct, understanding we're different, and we stick out and we stand out, put them on a path that had world-changing significance. And their desire to put the scriptures in a visually distinctive form because they were a distinctive church changed the world. When you think through the lens of values, you are freed to be yourself. You are liberated from the pressure of trying to be like somebody else. 
you get to be you. And so I guess pardon the personal example, but it's, it's hard in this particular season to, to speak from any other context other than my own. But, you know, you're not going to find me for the most part when I'm speaking on Sunday or when my pastor, my dad's speaking on Sunday, we're not going to be sitting on a cool stool in a cool set. Why? Because we're, we're passionate and we may knock something over. We don't mean to. I mean, it would be cool. It would be cool to do some neat things, but that's not us. We're, we're not, that's, that's not who we are. You're free to be yourself. And, and, and when you're free to be yourself, you can have a critical level of consistency. And consistency is so important right now. It's so important that there is an even tone, a consistent tone. You're able to maintain that, that level of consistency that produces a sense of peace and a sense of safety and control in the life of an organization because who your church or your leadership team is is not a method, but it's a set of values. You're able to pivot constantly and change environments and yet at the same time remain who, who you are. You know, for us, since we started this kind of journey about three weeks ago, though it feels like it's been forever, we've had major national and provincial laws change like four or five times we've gone from having a smaller service to not being able to have any service at all to being able to being forced to reduce the number of people that are in our team um, when we go to live stream a service. And we're expecting at some point that something called the Emergency Measures Act may be enacted, which will be like a shelter-in-place order. And um, here in Canada, churches are not considered essential services uh, and so going to film and, and live broadcast at a church is not going to be an option for us should that come about. But we got values. We have passion. We've got, we're passionate about apostolic doctrine, being spirit-led, spirit-driven, and results, and those things are not methods. So we're able and we're freed to be consistently us and at the same time pivot constantly to the changing environment. When you know what your values are, the methods become tools you use rather than anchors of, of your identity. Methods become tools you use rather than anchors of your identity. Values allow you to incarnate your identity in the most effective format possible. So you need to be asking yourself, not just what should I do or what camera angles work best, but what we really should be asking is how can our voice come across loud and clear in this uncertain time? How can we be different and stand out as the church? My challenge to all of us is not to figure out in this time when we've got shelter-in-place orders and you know, we're quarantined in our homes and we're not able to meet. And my challenge to all of us is not to figure out how to do online ministry. Because I'm pretty sure we all have figured out now the internet is now super important if it wasn't already before. Our challenge to, to us today is 
how online ministry can incarnate our values as the global big C church and as local churches within our own distinct culture. However, at the same time, this this goes beyond just Sunday, and it forces us to ask ourselves, how can we continue to incarnate our values and keep people plugged into ministry and serving? How can we continue to make disciples? How can we continue to speak life into our community and retain our distinctive voice? This really is an interesting and a strange time to be alive. We find ourselves in a really unique historical moment, don't we? The coronavirus or COVID-19 is disrupting the world. And it's bringing a whole lot of uncertainty and fear in, into lives. But at the same time, we find ourselves in the middle of this crisis with an opportunity to rediscover our creative and innovative impulse as a church once again. Never before have we ever needed to be more collaborative, and more unified as leaders than ever. Because this is an amazing opportunity. Like the early church was trying to figure out the best way to make a really distinct looking book. This is an amazing opportunity for us to truly innovate, to figure out how to do church when we are sheltered in place. Just because the whole world is plunged in crisis, does not mean that God's purpose for you is. In fact, I would say it's just the opposite. Bishop David Bernard, he preached on a a message a little while ago that was incredibly powerful, moving from fear to faith. That is what we got to do right now. Don't worry about the money. God provides. Be good stewards, but understand God provides. Don't worry who will, you know, who's going to come back to church when this is all over. Just reach for people in the most effective way possible. Let your distinctive voice in your community ring out. Incarnate the values of your local church in the new formats that you need to embrace the best that you can. But don't worry. If you're going to worry about anything, Worry about where you're going to put everyone that you've connected to when this is all over. Move from fear to faith. Your steps, the steps of your church, are orchestrated by God. And he's going to use this moment in the world for his glory and your purpose. Be ready to pivot in this dynamic environment. Know who you are. Yes, the pressure is on, but under pressure is when we've always done our best work. My good friend, David McGovern, he said this in one of his church services before shelter in place was ordered in California and they could not meet at all. And I'm going to butcher the quote, but I'm going to, I'm going to put it in my own words. It was, it was, I was so moved by it. He said, the church has never been put on life support in a crisis. But we have needed it in times of comfort. I have a sneaky suspicion 
that God is using a worldwide pandemic to shake up the church just a little bit. Responding to crisis with an evangelistic focus was a fundamental part of the culture of the early church. It's time for us to do that and see what God will do with our efforts. And while you're stressed out over what went wrong in your live stream, remember what Paul said. I did not come to you in the excellency of speech nor in the words of men's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and power. At our core, we've always been spiritual. Let's lean hard into that. Whatever method you use, whatever format you use, how many camera angles you use, whether you use Instagram or Facebook or YouTube, doesn't matter. Let's lean into the distinctive fact that we are a spiritual movement and the power of the Spirit of God is what brings change into lives. In Acts 6, church was scattered. But verse 4 says that those who are scattered went everywhere preaching. We have not been driven out by persecution, but we've been driven into our homes because of a virus, but we have in our hands our devices that can reach all the way around the world. And in verse 4 of Acts 6, those who are scattered went everywhere preaching, and four verses later, we discover that because those who were scattered went preaching, in verse 8, there was great joy in the city. I believe the end result of our efforts is going to be revival. Let's leverage this moment for the power of God. Next time, I've got some great speakers, some great leaders talking about what they're doing that's going to help you. You have a great day.